Diane, it's Bo. It's the third week of our investigation into the murder of Laura Palmer in the town of Twin Peaks. I don't know if I've mentioned how good the coffee is here, but I've been drinking it pretty much nonstop with no apparent side effects. I've taken it upon myself to expand the room I'm staying in at the Great Northern. I always thought this room could use a balcony. So, thank goodness for all the wood around here. That makes the carpentry a ton easier. Oh, uh, right, the murder. Okay, so it looks like James is clean, if a little bit on the dim side, and Bobby Briggs might be a real jerk, but I'm not convinced he's an actual suspect. The pair of suspects that have me most excited... Hang on, I need some more of this coffee. My goodness, that's a damn fine cup of coffee. Where was I? Oh, yeah, murder. So Leo Johnson is looking pretty good for the murder, what with his bloody shirt and all. And Dr. Jacoby in his Malibu dream home is also high on my list of potential murders. Honestly, if fashion were a crime, he would have been hauled in long ago. Stop all that hammering, you raging bellend! You're not the boss of me! Diane, side note, I think Duncan is a real enemy of the American can-do spirit. We'll see who's the asshole when I'm sitting on my balcony and McLeish is stuck in his stupid balcony-less room. God, I need more coffee! Drop it! Duncan and both come correct. Hello, attractive bitches. This is... (laughs) This is Bo. (laughs) Uh, and That's the best intro ever. Thank, <laughs> thank you again for uh, for joining us here as myself and Duncan McLeish. Hi, everyone. <laughs> are, uh, are journeying into uh, Twin Peaks once more, our, uh, our, our third episode, uh, corresponding, of course, with the episodes of season one of Twin Peaks, if you count the pilot as episode one. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Duncan, I... I, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. This episode is maybe the reason to fall in love with Twin Peaks all over again. Yeah, this, this is the one where, like I literally just said before you hit record, um, a lot of the quotable lines, a lot of what people remember from this show, like if you ever, if you only ever watched it when it was on TV the first time round, um a lot of its cult status, a lot of everything that is the... which has really inserted itself into the popular culture all stems from this one episode. And it happens fairly early in the, you know, the, the, the Twin Peaks season. Like, even for the first season, but if you if you think about how much... This is like info dump, um, but done Twin Peaks style. So, there's a lot of information dropped here, but... Things are still a bit sketchy. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really, 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 really fucking good episode. And it should be no surprise to anyone that this one sees the return of David Lynch at the helm. And this is like the the lynchiest lynchy episode that ever lynched upon the, the, the lynch. Yeah, I, I mean, this might as well. Like, the episode itself is called Zen or the Skill to Catch a Killer. But mm-hmm. it could just be called David Lynch directs this episode. <laughs> it, it could be called Blue Velvet is uh, Lost Highway <laughs> yeah. on Mulholland Drive. That's, that's basically, it is like a weird bastard, like kind of amalgamation of of those three movies and one episode of TV. It's really, 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 really good. And it is, yeah, David Lynch doing what David Lynch does best, which is utterly confound but at the same time mesmerize the fuck out of the audience yeah it's all right 
let's just jump into this thing because there's a <laughs> lot to unpack here. Dudes. Uh, so uh, we begin, uh, Duncan, with uh, a dinner, an evening dinner at the Horn household. Uh, <laughs> and the dinner, which has, uh, again, a very Lynchian extended period of silence. Like the show opens and there's just no one talking. Yeah, there's a guy dressed like a Native American sitting at the table. Well, and that's, of course, the horn uh, child who was tutored uh, on occasion. Uh, no, wait. Was, was he tutored by Laura Palmer, or was it just... I that... think she helped out. Yeah. I don't know if she fully tutored, um, but she... She, she certainly cared for him. Yeah, she was baby sat or something. kind to him, I think, is the way that Audrey... Uh, one Audrey Horn, who is also at this dinner, um, uh, once describes it. But we're more concerned with the new arrival because into <laughs> the room comes Uncle Jerry, uh, Benjamin Horn's brother, who mm -hmm. has been away in France. Um, and I, you might know this more than I. I don't remember the name of the actor uh, who plays uh, Uncle Jerry. He is he's the guy from the crow who says, uh, not in the really real world, not in the really real world, he's that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's also in commando. Um and Arnold Schwarzenegger promises to kill him last. Uh, but he lied. He did he did lie. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you got me sidetracked by commando. Now I'm like, you know what? I should really watch commando again. It's a really good movie. It, yeah, it yeah, it kind of is. That was really the heyday of like that's before Arnold Schwarzenegger took himself a little too seriously. And it was before he took on the devil. Yes, that's really that. That was when that was the end. The <laughs> like, end of days, I mean? if you will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At the aptly named end of days. Yeah. Um, after <laughs> after making that movie, you really only want to make one more movie, which colossally flops, and then become a politician. Was it Eraser? Was that the movie he made after End of Days, or was that pre-End No, I think Eraser's, uh, Eraser's pre-End of Days. I think he did, uh, it was a collateral damage he did after. Uh, I, I, right. think, I, I think I might be wrong. In fact, actually, I think he may have done the sixth, is it the sixth day? Maybe came after as well. I think he did the sixth day and then collateral damage and then became the governor. Um, which, well, let's be honest, by that point, you're just clone this. You know what I mean? Fuck that line. Fuck that movie. Yeah. Um, and collateral damage, he's been 100% serious in that movie, and I can't take it serious. Yeah. Um, it, well, <laughs> it, well it, and the style of action movies had changed. They they had become a little more self-serious. Yeah. And and Schwarzenegger was just never built for that. No. <laughs> no. It was like, like less than a decade before he'd been fake pregnant in a movie with Danny DeVito. <laughs> you, Which is you perfect. Don't go from, yeah. You, you don't, yeah, you don't go from that movie to... My family have all been killed by terrorists, and now I must take them down. It just didn't work. It didn't work. He, he lost. He lost it a little bit. He yeah. lost it a little bit. I, I, you know, not long ago, I tried to watch Kindergarten Cop, uh, which just <laughs> happened to be on. That movie does not hold up at all. No, who is your daddy, and what does he do? Um, there is no bathroom. Yeah, like the soundboard stuff is good, but then you have to sit through the rest of the movie. Oh, it's terrible kid acting. Um, 
like terrible kid. I hate the kid in that movie. And I, I'm usually like kids are okay in films, but the, the kid in that movie is the most annoying little. In fact, all the kids in that that movie, it's just like it's like my worst nightmare. It's like being stuck in a movie that I want to enjoy that I remember that I did enjoy when I was young, but it's it's full of annoying kids. And yeah, this movie now feels seven hours long when it's not. Yeah. It didn't. It's not. It's not held up well. And they did a sequel to it not that long ago with Dolph Lindgren. That's and uh, right. that, that that was not a good movie either. And whoever thought that was a good idea, it, like, you know, I mean, why, why is it taking like, well, Bo, answer this question. Why is it taking like 26 years to bring Twin Peaks back, but we had Kindergarten Cop 2 before? I mean, where's the justice in the world? Well, there is none, Duncan. And the sooner <laughs> that you wrap your head around that fact, uh, you know, as a wise man once said, life is just one series of crushing defeats after another until you finally <laughs> wish Flanders was dead. Uh, now, I don't remember who said that, but <laughs> it was somebody smart, I assure you. <laughs> one of one of the important philosophers of Western culture. Um, oh, Twin Peaks, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, yeah, so, so, that's so, uh, yeah, so Uncle, Uncle Jerry shows up. Yeah. With baguettes, uh, that <laughs> sandwiches that are butter and brie baguettes. Yeah, the best sandwich, quote unquote, that he's ever had, and he was living on about three of them a day. Um, and this is just this is typical David Lynch. This is like pure David Lynch here. It's awkward dinner scene. Well, let's not acknowledge the person in the Indian headdress. Um, let's have an awkward silence. Let's have a let's have a really eccentric character come in from a trip somewhere carrying baguettes with brie and then the the over exaggerated reaction of of a uh, benjamin eating the the brie baguette and in a fashion which you don't eat a baguette in. no one eats a baguette side on that's well, weird yeah. i mean it's like a you know <laughs> a sub sandwich and and they're eating it not from the ends but from the middle yeah, like you would eat like a, like a like a, a, an ear of corn bowl, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, very much so, and and cramming as much of it into their mouths as they can while reminiscing about some girls they knew back in the day. Yeah, very very strange, very 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 strange. And you get the like, obviously we we know nothing. This is our introduction to Uncle Jerry, but instantly when he walks in, you're like, "There's this guy's a bit dodgy." Um, the the wife is none pleased. Um, Audrey doesn't look overly happy that he's back either, and they sashay off pretty quickly into another room. And the topic of discussion is the field. First, it's Leland's daughter's dead. Um, the Norwegians pulled out of the deal, um, and then the conversation very quickly moves on to oh, by the way, there's a new girl working at the what's it. The, Jack, one eye jacks. Yeah, one eye jacks. New new girl working at one eye jacks, and um, either you'll get first turn or or I will. Fresh, uh, and let's, fresh let's, from the perfume counter is yes. how they describe it. Which yeah, fresh from the kit, and that that will be explained further in the further down the road. But um, and then let's go to the boat, and you're like, what the fuck did I just watch? What did I just watch? Well, like the dinner, baguettes, brie, butter. New girls, perfume counter, boat. It's like the most rant. It's like it's like a it's like a lunatic shopping list. 
<laughs> it's like that doesn't make any sense at all. It's but it, it's wonderful. I mean, like this oh, yeah. episode starts so oddly, and but it's also really captivating. Like most Lynch stuff is, there's something surreal and weird, and there are these elements that don't necessarily go together, but mm-hmm. it, it's kind of wonderful anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we once we uh, see Jerry and uh, Benjamin Horn. Uh, heading to One-Eyed Jacks to flip a coin to see who gets to, um, you know, have sex with probably yet another underage girl in this show. Yep. Um, We go to uh, Donna's house where the date with James uh, continues. (laughs) And... You ruined this for me, Bo Ransdell. You've ruined James as a character. I cannot watch him on the screen without hearing your impression of him. You have ruined this character for me. I can never watch Twin Peaks the same. I hope you're happy with yourself, you bad, bad man. I, I am kind of pleased. And actually, someone uh, someone in the Facebook page actually said uh, that they always assume that that was James's real voice, too. <laughs> so I'm not alone. Uh, Duncan, uh, in in thinking that when James asks for or compliments uh, Mrs. Hayward for her Huckleberry Pie, what he really means is Huckleberry Pie, good. Uh, and so Donna and James are are left uh, alone in the uh, the downstairs, and this is a Saturday night. We know that because. Uh, you know, uh, Donna is cautioned like, Hey, you know, we're going to be up early for church tomorrow. So you two don't get up to any fucking down here. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, James like, don't worry, Dr. Hayward. Uh, and, and yes, James is a bit of a knucklehead, but he's a very sweet, well-intentioned knucklehead. So I don't, I don't fault Donna for wanting to be with a nice guy. I'm just worried that their kids are going to be stupid. <laughs> they're, they're all going to be Tim nice but dims. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, you hope that they get Donna's brains. Um, <laughs> so uh, we jump, uh, you know, out of that scene um, into uh, the dock, onto the pier, uh, leading to One-Eyed Jacks where um, Jerry and uh, and Benjamin arrive are greeted by women in um you know corsetry and mm-hmm. and satin gloves it's it's all very elegant and uh a phone call is made to alert the um the owner uh blackie of one eye jacks that the horn boys have shown up and yep. aptly named horn boys they are certainly horny and uh anyway they order a couple of scotches and then out comes blackie and the parade of girls and at this point uh jerry and benjamin uh kind of you know it's not flip a coin Are, are they playing uh rochambeau for uh you know, who gets to take the first turn with the young girl mm-hmm. and poor Jerry loses. Um, yep. Benjamin gets to, uh, take the girl from the perfume, perfume counter, 
uh, back, and she, her expression is uncomfortable uh, because she looks like she's kind of smiling and, and kind of, you know, like she knows why she's there, but there's also this kind of nervousness about it that's really unsettling. I think it, I think it's actually kind of eerie. Oh, yeah. But then well, we said this before, this is this is classic Lynch. Like you get goofiness, you get weirdness, you get then incredibly uncomfortable scene where it, it just doesn't look it doesn't look like she wants to be there and it looks like he wants to be there a bit too much. Yeah, he is very predatory in this scene. Not that Jerry isn't. Um, and Jerry's a little bit of a jerk too. I like the fact that he makes a rocket scientist joke about the bartender. Uh, when she gets uh, his like scotch order right or something, I mean, like both of the Horn brothers are just kind of assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, rich, overprivileged, you know, lascivious jerks is what yeah. we're dealing with. And uh, so Jerry watches uh, Benjamin steal away with the uh, the young girl, the the first timer from the perfume counter. And uh, Jerry is left with Blackie to, you know, get some scraps. <laughs> I don't think, I don't uh, think that's how those women want to be referred uh, to. The old busted vaginas laying around, uh, <laughs> laying around one-eyed jacks that have been there for a while. You uh, know, the C-section scars, and oh, I'm sorry, I'm just thinking of the first strip club I ever went to. Um, <laughs> that's true. That's a true story. That's that wasn't that was that was a, a maternity ward ball. <laughs> no, it was very much no, a strip still, club. No, uh, no, no. If, if if the women are naked and there's there's doctors like taking things out of them, that's a hospital. That's not a strip club. Oh, I well now. Sorry, I've... burst that bubble for you. So who did I pay the cover to? <laughs> Some lucky janitor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the idea of, you know, Sam the janitor running a side business like, hey, you want to see some JJs? I mean, they're not pristine. And there's probably going to be a baby coming out of them. Yeah. If you were impressed with ping pongs coming out, uh, ping pong balls coming out, wait till you see this. <laughs> oh, Duncan. Uh, oh. Uh, do you think that's how they have babies in Tijuana? Just get on a <laughs> stage and squeeze? <laughs> the crowds hollering all around am i oh boy this may be the last episode i don't think we're gonna have any <laughs> listeners left after this one i don't I like who, who have we not offended now um all right so whoever it is give us time yeah yeah it's it's early um all right so we cut back to donna and james and Donna is, you know, it, like she has been conflicted about this relationship uh, because she uh, like has fallen in love with James, even though James was the secret lover of Laura Palmer. And uh, but now they're both recognizing that, that they have these feelings. And James says, you know, I, I knew early on uh, that uh, you were you were special to me and well you know i'm putting more eloquent than james did uh james is like i saw you in the hallway you're pretty and and she's like i i I know james no really you're super pretty uh and 
and then they make out. Um, which, you know, uh, basically we're just cementing the idea here that, yes, these, uh, uh, these two young people are in a relationship that they are in love, and it's sort of sanctioned by, um, you know, Donna's parents. They seem cool with James. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then, Duncan, it's time to head to the Great Northern. Mm-hmm. Finally, we get yeah. Well, and in fairness, like this is probably about ten minutes into the episode before we see Agent Cooper, mm-hmm. but he enters in grand style by just marching into the room and blowing a little toot on his, <laughs> the whistle that he has whittled. Yes, his whittle whistle. His whittle whistle. Um, <laughs> how much wh- whistle could a whittle whistle? Uh, so. As soon as he blows his horn, the phone rings, mm-hmm. and it's everyone's favorite, Duncan, Deputy Hawk. Yeah, I, I, as, soon as, as soon as he's on screen, or whenever I hear his voice, I'm like that, Bo's happy right now. Oh, 100%. So, uh, in this case, Deputy Hawk isn't engaged in an action scene like in the previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's telling the realistic version of what happened, Bo. Not the Bo version of what happened. What actually happened. Well, because Deputy Hawk is awesome. So, uh, oh, he downplays it, so he downplays it. Is that what you're saying? He lies. He right, he's it. just like, you know, Deputy right. Hawk do what Deputy Hawk do. You don't, <laughs> you don't have to keep an eye on Deputy Hawk. Deputy Hawk is going to handle business. And the mm-hmm. less you know about how that business gets handled, the better <laughs> off you are because... <laughs> Deputy Hawk will do some dirt. Um, but in this case, uh, Agent Cooper is asking, you know, how Renette uh, Pulaski is. And Deputy Hawk says, in awesome fashion, her body and spirit are still far apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and there's a lot of weird consciousness stuff. But, um, but at any rate, what we learn in this scene, because Deputy Hawk is an incredible investigator, Duncan now won't hear differently, <laughs> he finds out that Renette Pulaski was actually um, working at the perfume counter mm-hmm. and had just quit her job at that perfume counter before she went missing. That's right. So Perfume counter, you see. Right. Almost as if we had just heard in a previous scene <laughs> that the girl who worked the perfume counter was now at One-Eyed Jack's. I don't know about you, Duncan. I think it's very possible that uh, one Renette Pulaski uh, had been to One Eye Jacks. I will quote um, our good friend, our good buddy, Hawk, um, and saying, Kaka! A hundred percent, Duncan. <laughs> You've never sounded smarter. <laughs> I do feel they missed a trick with that. Yeah, it's... That he could just do that every... Like, like uh, some sort of kind of weird hawk Tourette's. Like in the middle of a sentence, you know, like that. Uh, man with one arm, caca, walked out of the... You know, like, that could work. Yeah, and, and that's the, you know, the big story here is is Deputy Hawk saying, hey, not only did Ronette uh, Pulaski uh, work at the perfume counter, but I saw a guy with one arm. One and- arm. And there was an incredible chase scene, but I lost him. He 
did not say there was an incredible chase scene, but he it's, did say there was a guy with one arm and he didn't, he didn't manage to track him down. The guy left and lost him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Hawk failed. The, you call it a failure. I call it a, a, just a slight delay in justice, Duncan. <laughs> yeah, it, Hawk knows that there's there's at least five more episodes in this season and he ain't in any hurry. Nope, nope. Deputy Hawk, no. Like, he's he's a guy who's going to take his time. And in fact, in the the scene we get to later with the throwing rocks, I think Deputy Hawk is the only one who's like, you know what? I think this guy gets it. I think Agent Cooper is. <laughs> I think he knows how to solve a crime. Oh, uh, I can't wait to get to that scene. I, I know. It's it's not far off, and we're going to shut up about it right now. Uh, so, uh, while uh, after Agent Cooper hangs up with Deputy Hawk, Cacao! Uh, then. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I, need right a, I need to find like a, a sound effect of like a screeching eagle or something yes. to insert get there. That, get that in there. All right. Uh, done and done. <laughs> <laughs> so, Agent Cooper then gets a note slipped under his door, uh, mm-hmm. which says, The Jack with One Eye. Yep. Written by a woman as well, because we can tell because uh, the the card itself has been scented with perfume. Indeed it has, perhaps from a counter. Ooh. See, oh. it's all, like, almost as if that was mentioned two minutes before and then five minutes before that as well. Yeah, it's... Uh, it, uh, like, it's uncanny. It, it's a, a Mobius strip of logic. <laughs> running through this episode but yeah so uh he gets a perfumed note card uh with that name on it then uh it's time to check in with our our good buddies bobby briggs and meat uh who are uh happen to be driving a pretty bitchin trans am through the woods yep and night yeah well of course you don't drive a trans am in the woods during the day duncan (laughs) What what are you scottish uh, yes, yes, well, yes, I am. <laughs> Don't know nothing about trans ams. Um, <laughs> the American car of choice. Uh, you know, if you were alive in 1978. <laughs> well, they're they're on the 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 hunt for um, something stashed away, and they have come armed with a flick knife, just in case they have to. I don't know, show a bit of muscle. Um, and uh, they, they arrive at the, this tree and um, our, our buddy Bobby starts uh, investigating the tree. Um, and then uh, arguably the most terrifying thing in this episode like appears, uh, which is our, our friend Leo. And Leo, like, Leo is friggin scary and I, I found out what like what makes leo scary for me is leo like does not speak like a like a normal person like at all he doesn't even speak like a gangster he speaks he, like some of the things he says is is weird and it's unsettling and if you're already slightly nervous and you already know this guy is one not to be fucked with um the when he says something like Leo needs a new pair of shoes like I, I don't know what to do with that information I, I kind of feel like well we can go and get your shoes if that's 
I don't think he means shoes. I don't know what's happening now. Yeah. I want well, to go home. <laughs> I, th- I think that is obviously a, a reference to the old expression, like, you know, baby needs yeah. a new pair of shoes when you're yeah. gambling. Because uh, when he says it, it's says. terrifying. It, well, and it doesn't <laughs> hurt, Duncan, that the man is holding a shotgun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just the exclamation mark. Um, <laughs> that's, that's basically that's the, the, the armed equivalent of punctuation to a sentence it's fucking terrifying and the, what I love about this scene as well is it, it's shot like something from a horror movie so this is like David Lynch bringing in his little horror tropes that he likes to do so as they're venturing out into the woods it's um, POV it's us seeing from the position of them walking through the woods and all we can see is like what is lit by torch um, as they walk out out there, and then Leo himself, we only really see his face lit up, and he's fucking terrifying. Um, and yeah, he confronts him, and he's not very happy because they owe money, money which obviously they don't have because Laura had it and she had it in a safety deposit box, and she's now dead. And Bobby hadn't planned for that, obviously. Um, it turns out Leo doesn't care. Now, and, you know, there is some uh, some yayo in the football. A mm-hmm. little baggie of uh, skag, as we've established. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, dear. <laughs> it's almost as if me and you grew up on the streets, but... Oh, <laughs> I grew up hard, Duncan. Real hard. Um, didn't have... Didn't have no banana seat bike uh, <laughs> in my neighborhood. My cul-de-sac. That <laughs> just literally sounds like you've just picked like random words in the room and just put them together. <laughs> banana seat bike. D- did that, you that, not that, have like a that. bike with a banana seat? I don't even know what that is. A Sims wrong. <laughs> okay, so you know there are two listeners. Uh, gather the kids. It's information time here on oh, yeah, Duncan yeah, yeah. and Bo go, go to Twin Peaks. <laughs> So, there are essentially two types of bike seats, as I am aware of them. There is the the one that looks like the the hat of Samuel Adams, the standard. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I'm familiar with. Right. And then there's the banana seat, which is uh, longer and kind of curves up at the back. It's, it's sort of the, the type of seat that uh, are on children's bikes because oh, you, right. you don't necessarily want their rectums pierced at that age. <laughs> oh, God. That's more of a grown-up thing. Like, you should make the choice when your rectum is pierced. That sh- that's not a choice that should be made for you by a bike. <laughs> In the UK, that choice is made for you. <laughs> I, uh, well, There's many, many bikes around here with banana seats on them. I think they're all pretty much the same seat, so... Yeah, that's a shame. I mean, I I wish we could get you some huffy banana seat technology <laughs> across the Atlantic. I think your kids would thank you for it. All <laughs> 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 oh, the things you learn on this show. Yeah, right, and now, uh, listeners, you can send the kids back to bed. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all they need to know ever. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, in addition to Leo, Bobby spies uh, a stranger in, like, uh, you know, a black uh, balaclava and overcoat and all that, Mm -hmm. and asks Leo, hey, did you bring somebody with you? 
and Leo's like, don't you worry about nothing. Leo Leo is asking the questions here. Mm-hmm. Leo gave you yayo and skag. Where is Leo's money? <laughs> it's like, exactly. Why, why is he referring to himself in the first person? <laughs> Leo has dissociative disorder. <laughs> Leo sees himself as apart from both himself and humanity. Uh, so, but yeah, uh, and and they're short on money, and uh, and then finally, you know, Bobby is like, "Hey, <laughs> Laura had the money in the safe deposit box, which the cops got to." And, you know, well, and Bobby is saying, like, just, you know, everything's going to settle down and then I'll get you your money. And that's where Leo says, Leo don't care about your problems. Leo needs a new pair of shoes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, get get a man a new pair of shoes. (laughs) Here, have my shoes, Leo. Uh, Oh, you don't mean shoes. You mean $10,000. Okay, I'm now following you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. $10,000 buys a lot of shoes. Uh, well, yeah. Unless you buy expensive shoes. Well, sure. If you're a rapper. Then it may buy you one. Wait, <laughs> look at the second. If you're Elton John, it only buys you one shoe. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Rappers, uh, basketball players, and Elton John are going to yep. spend a lot of money on shoes, which is an <laughs> unusual collection of, of uh, individuals. Um, it's also like uh, that's also the the way I like to describe my Saturday nights <laughs> rappers basketball players and Elton John oh that sounds like a party I want to go to <laughs> it also sounds kind of like an Elton John song it really does <laughs> rappers basketball players and me <laughs> I just imagine Elton John as a rapper or a basketball player, and both of them are making me. <laughs> I was or yeah, you combine it so he's got some gold kicks on the basketball <laughs> shorts and and jersey with big gold chains and and like a gold grill. Oh god! Uh, talk about your Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatters. I am in. <laughs> He's not a very tall guy, though. <laughs> Could you imagine him standing beside Shaquille O'Neal? <laughs> oh, he he would look like the either before or after picture, depending on what you're selling. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, that was awesome. Uh, right. Yeah, so, so Leo needs a new pair of shoes. Yeah, and then... Uh, so what happens is that Bobby and Meat... Um, are told by Leo, like, Leo wants you to walk away from him now. Uh, and they're like, Leo, is everything cool? And he's like, Leo wants you to walk. And so <laughs> they they start taking off, wondering if he's about to shoot them in the back with the shotgun, and then they haul ass away. I think he fires a warning shot in the air or something and scares them. And, we, uh, get the, we, we get the same POV point of view, and the, this time it's a bit more erratic with the shaky light. Um as run away. Yeah, and they, they take off. Um, jump in the Trans Am and, and throw on a little journey and <laughs> light up a doobie and, uh, and, and take off into the night. Uh, 
It's all exactly how it happens in the episode. <laughs> then, so now uh, it, it's time to get to everyone's favorite uh, scenes with uh, Big Ed and his wife Nadine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, oily Big Ed. Yeah, Big Ed's got a little bit of a problem because he he was uh, working in uh, in you know Big Ed's gas farm and is trying to get inside. He's covered with grease, and as he comes in, the runners for the drapes. You know, Nadine's working on her special project to have the world's uh, quietest drapes. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, by the way. Uh, thank you again for doing the ad in the last episode, Duncan. I think <laughs> everyone enjoyed your your testimonial. Um, <laughs> turns out you could do a lot in editing, Duncan. Um, <laughs> so she's also on a, like one of those rowing machines. Yeah, and um, yeah, she's like if ever there was a character you don't want working out, <laughs> that's the character. Because she doesn't look like she ever tires or sleeps. No. And she... working out is just like, just like the endorphins are just running wild. She's basically like a small one-eyed version of the fucking Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> Ultimate Warrior or Tasmanian <laughs> Devil, you be the judge. One of the two. <laughs> you be the judge. You decide. The Ultimate Tasmanian Devil. Let's combine them, Duncan. <laughs> um... But yeah, so so Big Ed has spilled grease on uh, the runners, mm-hmm. and she's you know she freaks out when Big Ed you know kind of stumbles over him and breaks one of them, and you know she's just like Ed, what are you doing? <laughs> and uh, in fairness, he's like that. You did leave them out in the middle of the floor, right? In he's... a place that I would likely trip over if I was walking and not prepared to see a drape runner, right? And. And then after, you know, she screams at him for a second, then she, like, hulks the arm of the (laughs) rowing machine and bends it like, you know, she's super Nadine. Nadine smash! Right. (laughs) Puny Ed. Uh, Yeah, she crunches that thing. Um, And and then, you know, we we leave them for the moment. We are going to get back. Because there are important doings with the runners. We'll get back to that. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. Ladies and gentlemen listening, don't worry. We are going to come back to the drapes. We need to come back. We need to talk about the drapes. Yeah. I mean, Twin Peaks is about two things. The murder of Laura Palmer and Quiet Drapes. <laughs> see, if that, see, see if the whole new season is basically the culmination of the quiet drapes. This has been like a 27-year journey into the discovery of a quiet drape runner. If, if she's which independently I would, wealthy, like the, the magnate of some quiet drape company now. Which I would not put past David Lynch. No. Like, ever. In a million, <laughs> if anything, that would, that would actually make sense. Um, but I'm just saying, if that does happen, I... I I may think it's the greatest TV show that's ever been made. <laughs> yes. I'll tell you what, if this new season can give me something as good as this episode, I, I'm fine. I, oh, yeah. I just need one like this and I'm happy. Um, mm-hmm. Because, Duncan, we now come to the, the central scene, I would argue, <laughs> of this episode. 
which is Agent Cooper assembling his crack team of detectives, uh, including Deputy Andy, Deputy Hawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll do the sound drive so it's much cooler than us doing it, but I'll probably leave us in too. Um, <laughs> just to highlight what idiots we are. Uh <laughs> And uh, Sheriff Truman is there as well as Lucy. So we have. And a mighty array of donuts. A giant stack of donuts, as well as a, uh, a few stumps with glass bottles on them that have been measured exactly 60 feet and 6 inches, Duncan, which is the official measurement of the uh, pitcher's mound to home plate in professional baseball. Is that the poignancy? I just thought they were measuring it the length of my penis. Uh, nobody folds mine in half or anybody, Duncan. Uh... <laughs> and they also have like an old-fashioned kind of 1950s school board. Um, like a, like a, a blackboard. Or I don't know what you call them in America. A uh, blackboard. All right, well, there you go. So it's like that. It's one of those flippy ones, the ones that flip over, which you had in olden times. Not so much now. Before smart board technology, they have one of them as well. Um, and that is there for a reason. A reason we find out super quick. And so many tasty donuts. Oh, the donuts. Yeah. So all we're doing in this moment, like we're going to get back to this in just a second. But all we're doing is the setup. We got donuts. We got our characters. We got Agent Cooper at uh, a blackboard or uh, what you call it? Like a, a drawfish. I don't know what, what uh, you call it over there. Um, <laughs> garbage truck. Yep. Um, garbage truck. It's what we call a garbage truck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no wonder you call the other thing a bin lorry. That would be confusing as shit. Um, <laughs> now I'm on your side. Not really, listeners. Um, <laughs> all right. So we we got to cut away from that a second to to catch up with uh, Shelly Johnson. Half of America's favorite couple, Leo and Shelley. <laughs> the Johnsons. Yeah, like it's a real will they won't they kind of kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's 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 seen better days. She's a bit banged up. All right, but here's the thing I want to mention about this more than anything else. I mean, yes, uh, so Bobby shows up, mm-hmm. but I guess taking a page out of Leo's book when he's knocking on the door, he's like, Shelley, open up. It's the big bad bobcat. Mm-hmm. Now, Duncan, have you ever said that <laughs> to your lovely wife? Have you ever given yourself uh, a nickname that is somehow a play on your own name? No, because nothing really plays with the name Duncan. I wouldn't be like, "Oh, it's Duncan Donuts." You know, that's that's not going to get me anything. And well, now I'm turned except, on, except resentment and ridicule. <laughs> Uh, it's gonna get me a lot of R's, <laughs> a lot of R-related words. Um, no, but this this is this is classic classic Bobby, in that it's his his patter, as we like to call it in Scotland, his patter is shite. Yeah, <laughs> pretty well, much. And and over here we would just say that he has no game. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. This is him. We need to remember he's still ostensibly a, a, a high school student so you know he's, st- he's still a kid really like you know he's he's like kind of 
late teens um, and he's in an adult's world now and as such it shows when he uses words like this he's trying to be all cute and kind of playful and if anything it just comes across as rather lame but I love the fact that he's like banging on like repeatedly banging on the door of a woman who is well, he doesn't know at the time but is severely fucking domestically traumatised she's suffering in shell shock she's fucking post-traumatic stress disorder um, and he's banging on the door trying to be all cute and she's like Leo has already beat the shit out of me for like the suspicion that his shirt may have went missing he threatened to snap my neck because there was different brands of cigarettes in the ashtray and now you've just shown up at the door he already kind of suspects something but now you're just you're, you've, you're, you're raising the stakes in a way that only gets me hurt <laughs> doesn't get you hurt it gets me hurt um, he's like, yeah, that's okay. I parked the car in the woods. It's all right. He's, he's got up the road. We'll go in twenty minutes. Um, and I love the the camera pans around and we see what can only be described as the scariest, scariest headshot of Leo. It's the only picture they have on top of their TV, and he look. It's in black and white, and it's the most terrifying stare ever. Um, and I'm like, that's the only photo you have of Leo. No wonder you're terrified. It's like, I'm yeah. just going to put... And that's him smiling in that football. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> so it looks like he's smiling. He might as well be dragging his finger across his throat threateningly <laughs> in that picture. You know? Or pointing <laughs> pointing out, and the frame just says, I'm watching you, Shelly. You know? Um, yeah, he's doing the, the gun finger thing. Yeah. He's like... <laughs> uh, but... So... You know, Bobby asks what happened, and she says, well, Leo happened. And he says, well, I'm going to kill him. Hmm. And then they make out, because nothing is a turn-on like murdering the husband of the woman you're having an affair with. Um, At least for me. It's really the only way I come anymore. Uh, (laughs) I'll edit all that out. That, that, and there's that, and the sound of of a, a hawk crowing uh, <laughs> yeah that's true and if you can combine them I go off like a Roman candle Just get... <laughs> if you can combine them there's a chance of splashback <laughs> yeah it's a Gallagher concert <laughs> at that point <laughs> yeah people show up with ponchos and sheets of plastic knowing knowing Duncan the first three rows will get the wet. First three, the first three rows all at the same time do almost like a Mexican wave-esque movement as they lower the goggles. Yeah. <laughs> this is just inviting me to do my bad Tracy Morgan. I'm going to make everybody pregnant. Uh, <laughs> see, it's bad. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but they, 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 they get up to a, a bit of hanky panky so to speak and then we leave them because we don't want to stay to see that no 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 i mean eh, maybe a minute but um (laughs) no it's time to go back to the forest where agent cooper has uh assembled his crack team of investigators uh deputy andy has a bucket of rocks uh for him and then lucy gives everyone coffee in one of my favorite moments in a great scene already where uh it's a little too hot and 
Agent Cooper in Agent Cooper fashion says, that's damn good coffee and hot. Oh, <laughs> God, I love this show. So... <laughs> But the most important thing that comes out of this scene is the the realisation that up until this moment, no one in the world really knows anything about Tibet, Bo. Uh, (laughs) And I I think that this show does a a great public service by taking taking a second to explain a little bit about Tibet. Yeah, well, uh, Agent Cooper has wisely affixed a map of Tibet on the back of the blackboard just so he could flip it over and say, okay, let's talk about Tibet. <laughs> and gives gives the history of Tibet and its relationship with China and the Dalai Lama. And China! China. China. Uh, China. China. I love my China. I love my China. China. Gotta make a great deal with Sorry. China. Um, China. 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 Uh, <laughs> It says this whole show could devolve it. into that. Yeah, <laughs> it's something about when you hear someone say it, you have to say it yourself, and then you find you're in some sort of weird causality loop where you're just stuck, just saying it over and over and over again until someone breaks the cycle. I'm yeah, glad that you have the ability to break that cycle because I don't. It, yeah, it's like when you accidentally grab a live wire. Somebody's got to knock you off with a piece of wood or something. <laughs> China, China, China. 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 I love my China. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Good fr- I know people in China. Yeah, beautiful orange bastard. Um, <laughs> thanks for leading us into a new dawn. Um, that wasn't offensive. That was supportive. That was pro- I was supportive. Was you, were being very, you were being very patriotic. Well, it's better to live here in the good old us of a than china china yep uh i just want to see if he'll do it again um, every time every time <laughs> so uh after our history lesson on tibet the the point of it being that there is a spirituality uh that that comes out of uh tibet and that uh agent cooper subscribes to so uh, he says, you know, he he brings up the point, like, look, the, the day of Laura Palmer's death, she had the entry in her journal that said that she was meeting Jay tonight. So, uh, what Agent Cooper has done is he has written all of the suspects or known associates of Laura Palmer on the board uh, that feature uh, a J in the name. And so, the plan is that Agent Cooper is going to take one of the rocks from the bucket that Deputy Andy has has provided to him, and he is going to uh, first have Sheriff Truman say the name on the board and then Uh the relationship to Laura Palmer, at which point Agent Cooper will throw the rock at the bottles 60 feet and 6 inches away, and depending on the nearness of the strike that is going to tell us how they may or may not be involved in the murder of Laura Palmer that seems completely logical it is a holistic investigation (laughs) I would would call it Um, so 
yeah, it it is again. This is such a David Lynch kind of moment, but it's kind of beautiful because David Lynch himself, as we know, is very into transcendental uh, meditation and spirituality and uh, states of consciousness and and that sort of thing. And that's totally what this is about. This is just very much, yeah, very know. much. So he's been into it for a very long time. I I I almost wish. There was a way for us to have David Lynch explain this scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how? Let's see. How would he describe it? It's spiritual. <laughs> so. Thanks, thanks, Mr. Lynch. No problem. Uh. So. Yeah. So it is. It is very Lynchian in terms of it, it's it's surreal sort of uh, ties to, um, like the subconscious, the idea that there is a a group sub shared subconscious that we all participate in, whether we know it or not, and that the truth actually exists um, universally. You know, that we all share, uh, because we all share a piece of that consciousness, we all know the truth of things fundamentally, even though our consciousness will get in the way of that, of those realizations, mm-hmm. you know? And a lot of transcendental meditation is about that, of stripping away the artifice of consciousness to to connect you more, um, more fully with the full nature of, of spirituality. Yeah. Um, Oh, uh, kids. Uh, I forgot to tell the parents, uh, bring your kids back in the room for the Tibet talk. Uh, sorry. All right. So bring them back in and then rewind. And then uh, now you can let them go again. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's the plan is that if if he if his hand is guided to knock over a bottle or, or shatter a bottle, then that's probably who killed Laura Palmer. Yes. So. <laughs> I love the Bible. We're like, this is yeah. This is what happens in this episode. This is Agent Cooper. This is um. And to be honest, it, they are, for lack of a better word, skeptical of this, because the police officers are dealing with like to use a little thing called detective work, and not spiritualism. Well, but that's ignoring uh, a whole field of uh, Sherlockian investigation. If you true. if you watch that BBC show as that as that series goes on, that gets a little spiritual um, mm-hmm. or a little magical in terms of the investigation. Um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, the first name is James Hurley, and so Sheriff Truman says the name and says, you know, this was the secret boyfriend, and uh, Agent Cooper then whispers to the Rock, James Hurley. And then tosses it. Uh, the first two names on the board are James Hurley and Josie Packard. Uh, the the shots go wide, mm-hmm. uh, so we I think can cross them off any suspect lists that we may have. Uh, yep. Doctor Jacoby, on the other hand, uh, the rock, and he he tells Lucy to make a note of this. The bottle is struck, but it does mm-hmm. not break. Does not break. Does not break. Does not break. Meanwhile, meanwhile, every time I hear Doctor Jacoby's name, ZZ Top plays in my head. Don't know why. As well, it should. He's should a sharp-dressed man. Okay. 
He is. He also he is. has legs and he knows how to use them. <laughs> well played, son. <laughs> uh, next on the list, Johnny Horn, the uh, you know Native American headdress be clad child of Benjamin Horn, and not only does that rock go wide, it strikes a trash can far to the right. So, I think we can uh, all agree, Johnny Horn probably not involved in Laura Palmer's murder. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. Uh, Shelly Johnson, Norma Jennings, both uh, on the list as well. They do not um, get uh, anywhere near striking the bottle. Although I believe it's Shelly Johnson where the uh, rock ricochets off a tree and hits uh, poor Deputy Andy in the noggin. Which is kind of funny. Which, yeah, I mean, poor Deputy Andy. Although Lucy seems a little concerned. Uh, we do find that we do find it very quick where there's no sense, there's no feeling ball. That's right. That uh, I believe that is Sheriff Sheriff Truman who says this. And uh, so at this point, Sheriff Truman stops Agent Cooper and says, "Look, are you telling me that the reason we're doing this is because you dreamed that this would work?" And Agent Cooper very happily says, "Yes, I do." <laughs> or, yes, it was. That's the way he puts it. You know, did this really come from your dream? Yes, it did. So uh, he is very excited about it. Uh, Agent Cooper then uh, tosses the rock to uh, Jack with one eye. And it's here that Sheriff Truman says, you know what? What you're talking about is probably one-eyed Jack's, which is a place across the Canadian border. And... Uh, it's a person, not a place. And Agent Cooper is like, well, look, you, 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 we can get rid of that because it's not a person. Yeah, but he also says that they have to visit there. Oh. As part of their investigation. Absolutely. And so the next name, Duncan, Leo Johnson. And Innocent Leo Johnson. Innocent, not threatening, doesn't refer to himself in the first person, Leo Johnson. Right. And that rock sails true and shatters uh, the bottle. Now, just to remind our listeners, Leo has already established himself as a bit of a, a power player. He's involved with some drugs. He's involved with some money. He's a trucker, which doesn't help the case of not being convinced that he's a murderer. He uh, had a shirt with blood on it. Um beat up his girlfriend, has threatened people with a shotgun, um, and the bottle smashes. Surprise, surprise. That was a shock twist that no one expected to happen. Yep. So, Or is it a diversion bow? Mm. Uh, I think, you know, Agent Cooper's methods are sound. Uh, you could tell by his eyes that Deputy Hawk was on board. Uh, even though I don't think he has any lines in that scene at all. Uh, because he doesn't at all. He just, doesn't have to. Doesn't have to. He is watching it all, and he is understanding one hundred percent. The well, he's a spiritual guy, right? He's the one who said that poor Ronette, uh, you know, her body and spirit are far apart. He know he knows what's up. Like you don't have to tell Deputy Hawk nothing about Tibet. Uh, he knows all about it. <laughs> It would be quite funny if even Agent Hawk was just like, this is just a bit screwy for me. You know? <laughs> right. Hmm. 
Agent yeah. Cooper, Deputy Hawk says no. Um, <laughs> says Kano. 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 Oh, that was perfect. Uh, that was. I'm so happy we do this show. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little Audrey Horn. How about that? Oh, mm, Audrey, Audrey. Then she comes sashaying into the cafe and then just goes to the jukebox and plays the same song that seems to be following her everywhere she goes. Yeah, Audrey Horn. Yep. You should walk with that music. Just sway in the middle of the room for a minute. And then she uh, she gets herself a cup of coffee. And then Donna and the, the Haywards are there. Uh, Sans James, who, you know, pr- probably had a coloring book lesson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Donna and Audrey have a, a little bit of a chat uh, about um, Laura's death and, and, and so forth. And then uh, Audrey starts talking about Agent Cooper and how much he likes black coffee. And, you know, clearly Audrey is all about some Agent Cooper. She is the very much the smitten kitten. Oh, it, and boy, if ever a phrase applied, uh, there is something very feline about Audrey. Um, so they have a bit uh a bit more conversation and then audrey decides it's time to uh to dance again <laughs> well as you do sure and goes to the uh the middle of the room and just again like she dances like she's had about eight martinis and it's <laughs> three o'clock in the morning <laughs> or three in the afternoon like a proper socialite <laughs> right yeah, it's it's this weird kind of swaying, like it's not even really a dance. It's just you know somewhat rhythmic motion. Uh, but boy, she pulls it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, Audrey Horn. Um, so now we uh, we cut back to the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department because we have a new arrival, Duncan. Oh. Um. First of all, we you know we we uh, look at the the there's a scrap of bandage, uh, bloody bandage that that's found near the place where um, the crime scene that we saw from the last episode where Ronette uh, and Laura Palmer were presumably assaulted uh, and one yep. of them murdered, and then comes uh, in Albert Field uh, Rosenfield. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And this is the man to whom um, Agent Cooper was speaking in the last episode. And it is played by the recently departed, sadly departed, uh, Miguel Ferrer. Mm-hmm. And this may be the first time that I kind of fell in love with Miguel Ferrer. He's, uh, yeah. Well, this mm, Robocop. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. and maybe the stand. Like I don't think the stand is a great miniseries, but I think he's he's really good. He's in really it. good in it. He's, he's a very he was a very talented actor. Very good at playing characters, and he is he's brilliant in this. He has a, a great scene. There's no way 
this to me, like, see, watching his introduction and the way the the, the the FBI are portrayed and stuff like that, you're really seeing the the kind of groundwork for what essentially would be the X Files on TV. If you see how like the FBI are portrayed, like, special by him, there's a very almost a kind of weird Mulder esque quality about the way he is kind of introduced and the way he interacts and there's a kind of dry sarcasticness about the way but also like a very he's very on point what, what I love about him is he, he kind of speaks like Agent Cooper almost as if this is how FBI speak which you know like they're almost like running this train of thought out loud but he doesn't have the tact of Agent Cooper or the sense of wonder he's all business He's the, like one hundred percent. If if I'm if I'm if the mullet haircut <laughs> was an FBI agent, that idea of business up front, party in the back, that would be this character. He's all business up front, but you know he's a wee bit party in the back. Yeah, I... <laughs> it was like, what the fuck are you no, on no, about? No, no, no. Let's I, get I... back to throwing stones at a ball. No, I my my brain was going you know a mile a minute there because I, I agree with everything you said i do think that both agent cooper and uh albert rosenfield as played by miguel ferrer are are sort of those prototypical fbi agents that you see all the time now you know they're yeah. the kind of somewhat eccentric but brilliant kind of characters and yeah uh he is described as lacking some of the social niceties <laughs> that agent cooper possesses which is an understatement um <laughs> it is but before like in the scene with with uh sheriff harry s truman and agent cooper when agent cooper is warning him like hey like he's a he's a brilliant guy but he's gonna be a little abrasive mm-hmm. and then he honks sheriff truman's nose <laughs> And it's such a weird thing. Like, it's one of the things I wonder if that was anywhere in the the script at all. Or if just on the day, like, Kyle McLaughlin thought it was funny. Or, you know, David Lynch was like, honk his nose. And he was like, yeah, I'll honk his nose. That sounds great. But it's so weird. and I But I just love it. And I love the fact that... Um, that sheriff truman kind of grins about it and that's why i think it was just a total you know david lynch you know no really honk it you know that that was how that scene happened um anyway oh, i love it so much but so then we have the introduction of sheriff truman to uh, uh agent rosenfield who just dresses uh the twin peaks sheriff department um (laughs) the way that the investigation has been conducted the the coroner's report or the pathologist report all that stuff just is all like this is garbage these people are all amateurs i hate everything about this town this is a real cracker place and then there's (laughs) a quick insert uh just to make mention of this of lucy reading a book on tibet Oh, Which, it's amazing! <laughs> it's so it's good. Fucking, it's like probably is that is that attention to detail that you only get with David Lynch. Like literally, that is that is Lynch attention to detail, and it's a cast. Like, it's just a throwaway thing, and we only get to see it for a second. And it is is one of the most charming, endearing things in this entire episode. I think it's fucking amazing. 
thing is actually it like every time i see it it makes me smile yeah and i mean i kind of love i don't think you can help but love lucy to one degree or another you know yeah. she is she like she's one of those characters that seems kind of ditzy but isn't you know she's definitely a, a bit of an odd bird but i don't think she is dumb by any stretch of the imagination um she's no james is what i'm saying <laughs> but uh so sheriff truman is like hey uh you know you better be good at your job because if anyone came in and and kind of threw shade at me and my folks like this under any other circumstances they'd be i think the way he puts it is like they'd be finding their teeth two blocks over or something mm-hmm. um sheriff truman just getting it done uh, but then they head to the uh, the morgue because they, they have to take a look at the body, but not before Agent Cooper can give Sheriff Truman a big smile and thumbs up for handling that situation so well. <laughs> it's, oh, it's so good. God, this episode is so, so good. Like, there is not, there is not a bad scene. There's not a, a down moment. It's all just great. Um, so let's, let's turn to uh, where we promised the audience we would go, which is back to Big Ed and Nadine. Yeah. So he makes his way back, kind of gingerly walks in the door, and already Nadine's screeching, Ed! Ed, is that you? Ed! He's like, oh, fuck my life. <laughs> it kind of shambles in, and then she really does, like, burst out of the bedroom and runs at him like the Undertaker at, uh, not the Undertaker, like the Ultimate Warrior at Wrestlemania. Yep. Like you can just imagine music. Just fucking runs down at him with that eye patch and then proceeds to put him in like a giant bear hug um, proclaiming that his accident saved the day. Um, the oil that he dropped on the runners, surprisingly enough, Bo, if you didn't know about this, oil actually stops things squeaking. I was vaguely aware of that, but no one had ever put it to me like that before. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, she then demonstrates about 17 million times in the longest drape sequence in history. Uh, <laughs> the drape's not making any noise. And she's very proud of her man. Yep. And she says... Ed, we're gonna be so rich. <laughs> I feel like we have adequately uh, captured the spirit of this show and in its many characters. I'm so proud of us right now. I think we have as well. I think we're. I think we're awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, in in a very Lynchian way. Um, <laughs> so. You know who we haven't seen this episode yet, uh, Duncan, is a real See You Next Tuesday by the name of <laughs> Catherine Martell. Oh, yeah. She's, she's a... She is very much a See You Next Tuesday in this in this scene. In every scene. Like, you, you point to one scene where she is not shooting somebody a dirty look or saying something shitty about somebody. Or just outright firing somebody like she did in the pilot. Um, yeah, this is true. 
But she's given Pete a hard time because she's complaining about how everything smells like fish. And <laughs> then and then she gets around to asking, like, hey, the FBI uh, agent was here. What, what the hell? And he's like, yeah, he was just talking to Josie, asking her, you know, the normal questions if, if she knew Laura Palmer and that kind of thing. But what uh, Catherine Martell, a real see you next Tuesday, uh, doesn't know is that uh, Pete has squirreled away the uh, the key, a special key mm-hmm. that he gives to Josie, Josie Packard, um, the widow of uh, the Packard sawmill Packards, and uh, brother, or I guess she would be the sister-in-law to Catherine Martell. Um, yes. And anyway, so uh, Pete gives her a key and she goes downstairs and it's the key to a safe that's behind a painting where she finds two copies of the financial ledger, Mm -hmm. which um, I don't know much, but I saw um, the untouchables. Oh, yeah. And I think if you have more than one ledger, then you're probably up to something fishy. Yes, that's exactly how that works. Oh, I see what you did. <laughs> Just don't drink the coffee. Um, <laughs> a fish found its way at the percolator. <laughs> I'll be dogged. That's my Pete Martell. Um, yeah, there's two things you always take away from the Untouchables. The first thing that you take away from that is that if you have two ledgers, something is afoot. The second thing you take away from that is if someone sends your guy to the hospital, you send their guy to the morgue. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's the Chicago way, and that's how you get Capone. Everyone knows that. That's the only two things that you take away from that movie. Here endeth the lesson, Bo. I would say if there was a corollary to that, it's that if someone claims to be uh, a treasury agent, that you can take them at their word, because who would claim to be that who was not? (laughs) Is Is that Kevin Costner's best movie? I'm... It's. I mean, it's up there. I'm trying to think if there was a better one. Um, maybe so. I mean, I think in terms of just movies that have held up over time, Bull Durham is awfully good. Yeah, and I, I like I like JFK, but I like JFK maybe not necessarily for his performance, but I like the fact I like the subject matter. Yeah, you know, I mean, I like Oliver Stone's direction of it. Um, I think he's very good in it, but I don't necessarily think it's like. You know, you could replace Kevin Costner with about seven different actors, and that movie would be just as good. Yeah, his um, accent is pretty dodgy in that. Um, it's very dodgy in that. Um, almost, almost as bad as Sean Connery's Irish accent, which is just Sean Connery's accent in The Untouchables. You know what? Who cares? Uh, but the pa- like- Palmer gets away with that. So, well, I mean, if you're ripping off Battleship Potemkin in your movie, <laughs> then if you if one of your side characters' accents is slightly off, then you get a pass. Uh, yeah. And oh man, it's been a long time since I've seen Untouchables. I really want to watch long. it. I really want to watch the Untouchables now. Like <laughs> I really, really that in Commando. I was <laughs> like, right. we have this double bill ever. All right, listeners, buckle in. We're going to do a double feature, then we're going to finish up this episode. <laughs> this seven-hour episode of Duncan and Bo Go to Twin Peaks, <laughs> which features surprise cameos by the Untouchables and Commando. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm not going to show you between the eyes. I'm going to show you between the balls. (laughs) (laughs) What are you prepared to do? (laughs) Let off some steam, Bennett. Oh, we could just do this all day. We could just, we could just, we're not going to, but we could. Yeah. China. (laughs) China. There, yep. We, we've got so many running gags on this show now, I can't even keep up. Um, <laughs> right, um, let's, move let's, let's move on. Oh, wait, because we have legitimate weirdness to get to. Oh, yeah, the, like, the, yeah, everything that we've said before is, is nothing compared to how this episode finishes. Yeah, I've been real, real careful not to use the word weird because there's a scene coming up that deserves it. It's- weird yeah <laughs> yeah but but first we have to uh pause in the palmer household where leland palmer as played by the glorious ray wise mm-hmm. um who you may know from such movies as infestation or infested is that what it was called the one about all the bugs um if you haven't seen it i think it's infested yeah that's pretty good um and uh twin peaks <laughs> the show you're watching uh, so, and wait one second. Another thing that we just mentioned already earlier on: Robocop. That's right. I had forgotten that uh, that he and Miguel Ferrer are both in Robocop together. They are indeed. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, There's a lot of weird connections with like double, like duos moving on to do things and all the rest. Because uh, Big Ed and Nadine also right. appear in. The podcast Long under movie. the stairs, yeah. Not the pot, the people under the stairs. I prefer podcast. Uh, well, yeah, it's the best. It is. It's superior to the <laughs> film it's named after. I'll tell you that much. Uh, that's no bullshit, listeners. Get yourself some podcast under the stairs, why don't you? Um, why am I plugging your shows? I have shows. Uh, but all right, so Leland Palmer. Uh, we'll get back to that. Leland Palmer uh, is listening to Pennsylvania. Six five thousand and dancing with a picture of uh, his dead daughter and uh, his wife um, finally comes downstairs and is like, "What is going on around here?" And he's like, "We've got to dance for Laura. We have to keep dancing." And uh, you know, his wife appropriately is flipping out. You know, like she's yeah. not in the best mental condition. To begin with. And poor Leland is just a wreck. You know, they're both having they're they're having mutual uh mental breakdowns, which is nice because it's always nice <laughs> to see couples who can do things together. Um but yeah, this is like they're 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 out weirding each other and the mental breakdown standings though. Like she's seeing weird creepy guys at the foot of her bed and he's dancing with a picture. Sure. Yeah. When he cuts his hand and, you know, perhaps notably uh, smears blood over the, the picture of his dead daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we move, Duncan, into Dreamland. <laughs> yeah. Where uh, Agent Cooper, asleep at the Great Northern, has a, a vision, a... a a spiritual journey of sorts shaman like vision yeah like worthy of deputy hawk um <laughs> where <laughs> no. 
Not doing it. Not doing it. Not doing it. <laughs> you mean cacao? So the one armed man makes an appearance here, and yeah. like this is going to be tough to describe. So I'm going to try to get through this. The one armed man is Mike. Yes. His name is Mike, and he is initially reciting uh, a poem. Mm-hmm. Um, while a, a, a small, a little person uh, in a bowl haircut shivers in a corner, and we get mm-hmm. some flashes of uh, uh, of the guy that you know Miss Palmer saw at the end of the bed and so forth. And the the lines are through the darkness of future pasts, the magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds. Fire walk with me. Which is just badass. It's pretty great. <laughs> uh, then, then it's, uh, uh, we lived among the people, I think you say convenience store. Yeah. And, Which is not right. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff is lost in translation. Uh, we lived above it. Uh huh. I mean it like it sounds. I too have been touched by the devilish one, he says. And that it, uh, it, he, the devil put a tattoo on his shoulder mm-hmm. and he saw the face of God and he removed his arm. So, <laughs> right. So that's, that's Mike, the one armed man. Yep. And then the crazy person that we see at the uh, foot of the Palmer bed, that's Bob. Yeah, so he tells us that this guy's named Bob. Yeah, and, and then we, we see get, Bob. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. We get we get a bit of Bob. And Bob is how would you describe him, Bob? Crazy. Bob <laughs> is <laughs> Bob is a biker, a, a little bit cleaner biker who stayed away from the crank or uh, <laughs> or gag, skag. Uh, skag as it's known. <laughs> Um, <laughs> don't call it a comeback <laughs> oh if you want me to do LL Cool J it will happen <laughs> um, alright so so Bob is, hears Mike apparently telling Agent Cooper what's up with Mike and Bob by the way it's what's, not best pleased what's up with Mike and Bob <laughs> what's up with Mike and Bob is the best morning radio show you could ever hear <laughs> Um, it's a bit too spiritual for me. <laughs> oh, I like it in the morning. Uh, and they're always at odds with each other. That's what I mm. like. They're always arguing. Um, but Bob says that he's going to kill again. Yes. And all he right. doesn't do it. In a, well, he, d- he does it in a crazy way, but not an, ex- an eccentric crazy way. He's not like I'll kill again. <laughs> Right. He's just promising, yes, there will be more death. Because I'm Bob. Bob, that's what I do. Bob does that. And, you know, uh, you're messing with Bob, you're messing with fire. Uh, And then you're kind of thinking to yourself, right, that was a crazy dream. Thank God that scene's over. Now we can get back to normality. And that's not what happens. Nope. It's time we uh, return to the Red Room. 
which is just, you know, Agent Cooper in a chair. It, it's like, that's the thing you always associate, I think, with Twin Peaks. It's it's the room yes. with the red velvet curtains. Um, Agent Cooper sitting in the chair. He's got some weird old age makeup on. Um, yeah, aged. Yeah. And he, he, on, to his left, uh, is the jittery little person in the red suit. Mm-hmm. To the right is Laura Palmer, or who he believes to be Laura Palmer, even though she uh, she doesn't ever say that she is. Um, and my favorite thing that happens in this episode, and maybe this series, and I know it's early, but I it may be my one of my favorite things ever, is that this whole sequence with the uh the little person is shot in reverse yes it's very very once again very very david lynch so playing with these techniques and there's something weird like this is like this is on some level this is like a a continue a kind of continued theme not not necessarily the the backwards but the idea of this this kind of room and the music being the way it is, and even the guy's outfit is very reminiscent of Blue Velvet. Yeah. It, I mean, it's... Like, the thing that I, I think that this particular style does is it does create this sense of reality touched in a way that, like, just spun slightly off-kilter, where you can kind of make out what they're saying there. I mean, it's subtitled, uh, and, and, and so forth, but you can, you understand them, but until you've seen this episode, it's hard or, or a film that uses a similar technique. It's hard to imagine hearing English like in the correct order, but constructed of sounds played in reverse. It's, yeah. it's really surreal and, and weird and, and just works like a, fucking champ um but the first thing that our red besuited uh fellow says when he turns around and again this is all shot in reverse so even though he's making these motions it all looks kind of wrong and the first thing he says duncan let's rock (laughs) oh are you kidding (laughs) yes sir i'm ready to rock let's do this and so he and Agent Cooper have a discussion. You know, he's like, she looks like Laura Palmer, doesn't she? And he's like, it, you know, Agent Cooper is like, isn't that Laura Palmer? And again, it's a question that's not really answered. And even... Um, she doesn't uh, even answer it. She says that she feels like her, but then her arm bends back. And just the image of that actually like makes my skin crawl. Like the idea that she says sometimes surf, she feels like her arms bend back, and I was just like, ah, because ah. <laughs> I just pictured like the elbow going the other way. Uh, it's Ugh. this whole scene Pretty is weird. <laughs> oh, and 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 so the conversation begins with, "Hey, that gum you like is gonna come back in style," <laughs> which is what you know what I love about like because that's that's just a great line which means fucking nothing but when the news broke that Twin Peaks was coming back like definitively coming back David Lynch tweeted that that was the line he tweeted it's perfect 
it's just it is, it's perfect. perfect. This is what I meant about like all the great lines, all the things that are synonymous with the show all happen in this episode. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah. And this whole scene, you know, like Agent Cooper saying, like, you know, that is Laura Palmer. And then, you know, as you said, the uh Laura Palmer theoretic the look alike or whatever, when she does the, you know, sometimes my arms bend back. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's just oh <laughs> it, yeah. Oh, uh, man, this scene. Like, this... <laughs> All right, and then, you know, uh, she, Agent Cooper is told, like, you know, the, it's uh, the cousin, or, you know, it's the the little guy's cousin. And uh, then it, he, he says, like, uh, where we're from, the birds always sing a pretty song, and there's always music in the air. And mm-hmm. then he just starts dancing. Yep. <sighs> dancing while dancing backwards while a strobe light flashes in the background and then Laura gets up or supposed Laura gets up and she gives him a kiss and then she whispers something in his ear and then Agent Cooper wakes up and has the greatest hairstyle ever he has pure bed head his hair's all like swept up like uh, Ace Ventura Pet Detective and he jumps on the blower I believe that's what the, the 1950s cops call the telephone um, mm. and he calls up Harry S. Truman and says Harry, I know who the killer is I know who killed Laura Palmer and then we get obviously the conversation only from Agent Cooper's side and he's like no, it can wait till morning so obviously Truman's like, obviously, what? Right, well, right. Well, yeah, we need like... to do something now. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, what the fuck? Um, and he's like, no, I need to wait till morning. And then he puts the phone down and then continues the... Yeah, snapping in time with the music from his dream. And, and we don't get the, the usual outro on this show of the shot of the bird and the tree and the music playing and all the rest. Instead, we get a continuation of the the small man in the red room dancing backwards to the music. It's it's fucking amazing. It's actually amazing. Th- yeah, this episode, uh, cover to cover, maybe I don't know if it's my favorite or not, but it's it's well up there. Yeah, it's kind of top. It's kind of top tier. There's there's a couple. I know that are in the entire thing that come close and it'll be interesting going back through them with the more critical eye that we're going through now whether or not they are elevated to the level of this one but this is about as this is about as good as Twin Peaks gets like really um, in terms of kind of really distancing itself and setting itself apart from any other TV show that's ever happened you know what I mean this is this is a about as weird as TV gets, whilst at the same time, this is like the this is the epitome of everything that cult is supposed to be about. You know, when people talk about cult cinema or cult TV or or whatever, this is it all here in this episode. It's weird, it's quirky, it doesn't quite make sense, it's surreal, but at no point is it is it not one hundred percent interesting and engaging. Because um, when you think about it, this episode really just raises a ton of questions. It doesn't really answer anything. It just raises a ton of questions, which the rest of the show will struggle to to an extent to answer. 
but it raises all these questions, but it doesn't do it in a frustrating way at all. It raises all these questions, and I want to know where they go. I want to know what's going to happen. I, I can't wait to get more information. You know, who who is the, this kind of Laura Palmer-esque person in this Red Room? What does the Red Room mean? Um, who is Bob? What the fuck is Mike? Um, you know, who put the, the, although I think we know, who put the note underneath the door? Um, what's the deal with the perfume counter girls? What, what's the deal with this kind of weird bordello? Um you know, what seems to be getting people from perfume counters to, to become prostitutes. Uh, what, what's going on with Leo? Uh, you know, is Leo definitely involved? Certainly this Tibetan act or ritual has kind of put him to the forefront. What is Jacoby's position in all this? Because remember, the bottle did get clipped. It didn't smash, but it did get clipped on his name. Um, so what's his involvement? Right. I, I, just so, like, what's the deal with the second ledger? There are just so many questions that get raised by this episode. So many questions. And, yeah, this is, this is, this is exactly what you want from a third episode of this TV show. The first one set things out. We had the death and all the rest. The second one was more of a procedural episode. Got through a lot of the, right, we need to get through the interviews of the people. We need to get through all these. So it kind of compartmentalised a lot of the more boring aspects of the kind of police procedural that we're going through so that this episode can just flourish and flourish it does. Yeah, it's... uh, I mean... You know, I keep saying it. It's just such a tremendous, tremendous episode. The the fact that it goes, like, it dips its toes into the oddness with the, you know, Tibet scene and stuff. But that's all kind of played for laughs. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's a really fun scene. It's funny. The reactions of the characters are really good. Um, the, you know, Miguel Ferrer coming in as Rosenfield, and even that's pretty funny. And, but the end of this episode gets just crazy heavy with the the scene at the Palmer home with both parents just losing their shit. And then this final sequence with Agent Cooper first with the Bob and Mike stuff. What's up with Bob and Mike? And the all the Red Room stuff. And it's there's something so unsettling and and off-putting about it but it's also you know you can't look away it it is i i mean good lord if you're not on board at this point with this show i i just don't know what to tell you um <laughs> yeah i mean bail that's what i'm telling you cuz <laughs> if if you're not on board for what you saw in this episode it you know it's it doesn't get much better than what happens here and agreed. Um, and I think your point is really, really uh, kind of profound that this is this is cult without meaning to be cult. Like this just comes out of you know poor David Lynch's head because uh, his brain don't work so good, or at least not like mm-hmm. the rest of us. <laughs> and you know, like the instinct to to be like you know have them all do it backwards. <laughs> that that the time it would take to get that right yeah it has to be insane and like having to figure out how syllables sound backwards like you would have to do the lines originally record them then 
loop that backwards and memorize the lines in that backwards manner so that when it was filmed backwards or, you know, filmed and then played backwards, that it sounded kind of like the words. Yeah, as as the the, the time, like just logistically, the time to do that is just, right. you know, for, for something that you don't fully know whether or not it'll pay off. I'm a big fan of, I've always been a big fan of um, the, the portrayal of dreams in movies. Like, I, like some of my favourite movies, some of my favourite directors are the directors that put forward like kind of David Lynch is certainly one of them but someone like Argento for example like when Argento puts forward kind of dream logic so that kind of dream feel in something like Suspiria or even more more aptly Inferno um, that the idea of what a nightmare feels like on screen um, and how things don't make sense and how you know the structure of, of buildings, time, space, environments can change at, at whim. They don't make sense. Or how you perceive something in a dream as being, like, with a rational head is incorrect, but in your dream it makes sense. Um, and, like, Agent Cooper in this scene doesn't make comment about the fact that people are walking backwards or speaking backwards for forwards. Um at all he interacts with the scene very much like you would interact if you were dreaming it which i think is just incredible because it like i think it portrays what dreams are like really to put things in perspective i posted this on facebook today but i had one of the we i don't often remember my dreams i don't dream much but i don't sleep much um and i had the weirdest fucking dream last night the weirdest dream that in my dream i was granted the opportunity to spend a day with werner herzog and I, I got the opportunity to interview him all day. And that's what we did. We travelled about Scotland. <laughs> and I interviewed him and I asked him a lot of questions, not only about films, but about his life, his experiences and all the rest. And, and Herzog answered all my questions. Now, I know superficially some details about Werner Herzog, right? I know like the basics. I know some of the movies he's worked on. I've heard him in a couple of interviews. But that's the extent of my knowledge of him. So my brain has filled a... <laughs> this is when you think about it, it blows my mind. My brain has created this Werner Herzog, right? And then filled it, like the Matrix, full of answers to questions I was going to ask him. Experiences and things like that, that have come directly at my subconscious and my imagination as answers I imagine he would say. And I interacted with them. And when I got up and when I got up this morning, the first thing that sprung into my head was what I had basically done was I conducted an interview with my subconscious. Yeah. It which is it's just fucking strange. <laughs> and like you know what I mean? It's just fucking that's that's what your brain is like. And at no point did I think to myself, this is a dream. When clearly I know it's a dream, but I, I just I went with it. And it's so surreal and so weird and things didn't make sense. I was in Edinburgh and I opened a door and then I was in Glasgow and then I was in Stirling. And, you know, these things don't, like, time and distance and space don't make sense, but I interacted in such a way. This scene, to me, is the epitome of what dream logic is. 
It doesn't make sense. It's completely surreal. It's right. You know, it's it's things pieced together from your imagination, your subconscious, and all the rest. But when you're in it, it feels real. And I think that's what I think is amazing about the stylistic choice to do this, because you can convey this information in any way you want in this show. David Lynch plucks this idea, puts it on screen, and it is it, it is surreal, but at the same time so iconic and so captivating and so believable and it's absurdity that I, I just can't not think that it's that, 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 it reaffirms my belief that David Lynch is like a true artist I mean he's like a 100% artist auteur director that that would be a stylistic choice a writing choice, a stylistic, a stylistic choice that now that makes like essentially solidifies and confirms that Twin Peaks will go down in history as one of the weirdest yet influential TV shows of all time. And primarily, it's down to a five-minute sequence in this episode, and it's that five-minute sequence. It's insane. Yeah, and it's. I mean, we'll Sorry. we'll return again. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. Yum yum. Um. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> no, I you I I couldn't agree more. I I think that David Lynch is one of the few writers and directors that seems to have a direct connection to his subconscious and mm-hmm. and is able probably cuz all the goddamn meditation uh is able, <laughs> is able to you know sort of cull all of that subconscious stuff and fit it into a sequence that makes perfect sense really you know like and once we get to some of the you know reveals of what all these characters kind of represent and all that um that there is a real logic to it all but it feels completely unreal at the same time and and it's it's amazing i mean this uh, yeah i you know i keep going back to this well but this episode is just as good as it gets for me when it comes to Twin Peaks. It's got it's got everything I love. It's got great moments between the characters. It's got some really good laughs in it. And then it has this surreal, creepy tone that you can't really get in other shows, you know? Like, even today, I, I don't know that there is a show that generates the kind of uneasiness in me that this episode does at the end. Mm-hmm. And Agreed. It's it it's something, but Duncan, before we wrap this up, um, we gotta we gotta talk about a prime suspects. I mean, Ooh. it's Leo Johnson and Doctor Jacoby. Well, yeah, I think we've ne- and in fairness, if you'd asked us last in the last episode, which I think we did, our two prime suspects were still Leo Johnson and Doctor Jacoby, so we may have not progressed that further but we now need to find out we have a new name on the table here and that 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 name is bob because bob's the one that says he's going to kill again yeah so who's bob killed before right and you know spoilers bob might be metaphorical he may be yeah um Uh, yeah he may not be a real person he may not uh, but Mike, on the other hand, is someone that other people have seen. Well, yeah, Hawksome. Cacao! Cacao! Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
So we know for sure that that Mike or or an analog to Mike exists. And mm-hmm. so we have, you know, the, the big questions on the table are what's really going on at One Eye Jacks? Um, you know, obviously, who really killed Laura Palmer? It, how was Leo Johnson involved? Because clearly he was, according to the bottle technique. And mm-hmm. Dr. Jacoby as well. Um, and then, you know, there are the larger, more esoteric mysteries of, you know, who is Bob? What What is Bob? Uh, what is going on in the Red Room? Who is the girl who is not Laura Palmer or doesn't at least cop to being Laura Palmer? Um, and, and who is the little man in the Red Room? Why is he dancing so weird? Uh, <laughs> and, I, yeah, it's, boy... I you know I could just repeat all night what a fantastic episode it is. But Duncan, any any final thoughts from you, other than the giant tirade you went on just a minute ago? <laughs> no, I think uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I had to. I, I I I literally sat at work earlier on today and said I had this really weird dream. I dreamt that I was interviewing Werner Herzog, and like everyone looked at me as if I had had a stroke and just said like just randomly put together two like German words that didn't make sense I was like Bernard Herzog no one knew who that was so I kind of felt like I needed to purge that in my system and then I watched this episode right before we recorded and I was like fucking dreams man dreams <laughs> right yeah fucking dreams um yeah I've, I've had the I mean I haven't had the one where you interview Warner Herzog um actually <laughs> I, I have had one where you interviewed Warner Herzog that which was <laughs> Um, she's just following me around, right? Like Edinburgh and Glasgow. I, I was in the here? back seat, and nobody would look back at me, and I was just like, "Guys, hey, I want to ask him something too." Yeah, uh, in the dream, you were actually wearing a Herzog. Uh, <laughs> I was interviewing you. That oh god, if we're somehow dreamscaping each other, uh, <laughs> all right, I'm in. Um, but my fa- my favorite my favorite bit the one of the most vivid memories that I have of the dream uh, was uh, I I said to him um, I said to him I, that I'd always been interested I don't even know why I said this because I haven't always been interested but I said that I, I'd always been interested in directing my own movie um, and did he think it would be a good idea for someone at my age to direct a movie about, you're going to love this, about a science fiction movie about killer orangutans. Um, Yes, yes, you should direct that movie. Well, I said, like, killer orangutans from Mars who try to colonize the planet Earth. And his answer to me was, don't be so fucking stupid. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) I was like, this is my brain telling me you have a job, it pays okay, keep doing that. <laughs> don't, I, don't, don't quit your day job, Duncan. I have never said this before in my life, but fuck Werner Herzog on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see this. I want to see the Space Orangutan movie so bad now. <laughs> I don't even know what it came like once again. Fucking dreams, man. Honestly. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, there you go. I love it. I love it. I want... <laughs> oh, my God. How I, I want to see that movie now. Um, <laughs> coming to the Sci-Fi Channel next year. <laughs> yeah. Orangutans from Mars. <laughs> uh, 
Well, we we could call it the Orange Planet. Is what is what you call that's, that's, that? That's the, it's the Red Planet, though. It was like they're orange apes from the Red Planet. Yeah, or it's all just you know a thinly veiled attack on Trump. Um, <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's why I thought orangutans. Probably is, probably is. There, it's hard to see the news without seeing something that might remind you strikingly of an orangutan. Um, China, China, China. Folks, thank you for listening to all of this. I can't. For those who (laughs) still listen, yes. For those who stuck with us through the examination of the career of Kevin Costner and Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> really getting to the nitty gritty in in terms as, of as, as my as my mother as my mother would say in in our our, our coarse Scottish tongue we blather some shite yeah um, I so I understood that uh, <laughs> softly softly cheeky monkey um, catchy monkey catchy monkey god damn it I it's the cheeky monkey is. Uh, a, a thing I've heard before, like yeah, uh, a panda mustard, you know. <laughs> I saw that from John Oliver. I gotta, I gotta be honest. That was, those were two words that don't go together, according to John Oliver. Um, but I've been thinking about it all day. I can't get it out of my craw. I've, I've been laughing for two days about panda mustard. Um, <laughs> All right, so back to the original point. Uh, Everyone, thank you for listening. If you made it this far, God bless you. We will be awarding merit badges uh, this season if you make it through certain episodes. And you just got yourself the Red Room badge, folks. Uh, Yay! Congratulations. Give yourselves a hand. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because we're not doing it. (laughs) No, I mean, we're going to all the trouble making the show. You can clap. (laughs) <laughs> you can clap yeah i you can never mind um <laughs> i always always want to take this show into the gutter and i i don't know why i do that i apologize um <laughs> probably because there's a scott on the show um this is true. <laughs> it's because you want to raise the standards <laughs> they, yeah they call it working blue for a reason you know uh uh but if, if you're listening to the show, if you enjoyed this, uh, how could you? But if you did, <laughs> uh, it would be really nice and and much appreciated. If you would go to the uh, provider, uh, the app that you listen to, and, and rate and review the show, um, you know, uh, usual reasons. It helps raise the profile of the show, and, and it, you know, it'll make you, the listener, feel better because you've done something nice for someone else for a change. Uh, instead of just being the selfish prick you usually are. This is true. So, you know, get off your high horse. Do uh, it, It's going to take you five minutes. And I don't even think it's going to take you that long. So, you know, do do something for somebody else for just today. Um, we will be back to discuss episode four to continue our investigation into uh, the death of Laura Palmer and the goings-on in uh in twin peaks uh duncan anything else for the audience before we cut them loose uh, just thank you very much for supporting this uh this side podcast thing we're doing out with duncan and Bo. come correct and i uh, look forward to speaking to you for episode number four 
All right. Uh, ditto for me. Say good night, Duncan. Good night, Duncan. Good night, Duncan. God damn. <laughs>